Listening Dog Media. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yes! The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast. It's Lindsay Hooper joined by Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. I don't want to speak for them. I'll let them say hello. Hayley. Oh, hi, everyone. Nice to, nice to have you listening in again. Thanks. <laughs> Kate. Hello, everybody. Now, we're back, reunited as a three. We've had our holidays, girls. Are you going to put a pact in now? We're here till the end of the season. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Okay. We're going to move on to talk about manager headaches. One of the stories that keeps rearing its ugly head is Raheem Sterling and this contract, whether he's going to stay at Liverpool or not. In fact, we could say it may have even derailed Liverpool's season because since all of this hoo-ha... Yeah, well, they're out They're out of Champions League contention now, Kate Borsay. We have to tell her. In fact, I'll let the Manchester United fan tell you about it. Yeah, you're not in there anymore. Oh, you're you're out. Know. You're completely out. Yep. Yeah. Crashed and burned. Crashed and burned. And it might be partly to blame. I don't want to just pin it all on Sterling, but it could have had a factor. Do you know what? I actually think he's doing the right thing. This is just my personal opinion. I think he should wait to find out how Liverpool are going to do at the end of the season, then weigh up his options. And I don't believe it is all about the money. He's not turning it down because he thinks 100000 a week isn't good enough. He's turning it down because his future opportunities might not be good enough. If looks could kill, by the way. <laughs> I just think at this point in his career, it's right for him to stay at Liverpool. And I know our season's gone a bit peat tog, hasn't it? It's gone a bit uh, southwards. But it actually reminds me of when Harry Redknapp was linked to the England job. Do you remember? And Spurs' season just fell apart. Mm, well, I'm saying it could have had an, an implication. Anyway, the headache, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about other players that have caused managers grief those players that you think or those situations where you think oh no we don't want to touch them with a barge pole ever again so we're going to talk about that we're also going to go on to talk MasterChef do you watch MasterChef girls no 
No, but from the topic, <laughs> I'm assuming that, that you do, because I read it and I was like, MasterChef, why is MasterChef making yeah. an appearance? It's not even like you're, like you're like you're baking or you're cooking. I was a bit mystified. You just overcooked your baked potato tonight. <laughs> so to be fair, I don't even believe you watch it. Well, um, we all need to pick up some tips, girls. Uh, maybe that's the reason I do watch it. I want to improve. I want to get better. Well, there have been tough tasks, haven't there? Because Champions League nights were on when the Great British Bake Off was on. It wasn't one of the oh. biggest nights, you know, of the Bake Off on when there was a Champions League game. And there were literally battles between the households of husbands wanting to watch the Bake Off and the wives wanting to watch the football and potentially even the other way around. <laughs> well, I'm going to get you to think about footballers who are good chefs. Do your homework. There are some out there, some very good cooks, I assure you. We want to know who's good in the kitchen. Take your own take on that as well, because it's topic number three, and we can always go a little bit loose with that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's so not a term to use when you're talking about cooking. (laughs) Sorry, apologies there if you were just tucking into a bacon bap. We're going to start off by talking try and try again. But before we do, this is all related to Charlie Adams' corker of a goal from 60 metres. What a goal that was. And apparently something he's practiced over and over I will tell you some examples of that from footballers who played with him in just a moment but I want to talk something non-football related before we dive in to topic one because today something happened I have to tell you this something happened freakish like what are the chances I was going in to a job today into London on the overground train reading a newspaper got to a section about cricket with Kevin Peterson's picture big article about Kevin Peterson reading it and I felt this presence over my shoulder of someone trying to have a bit of a a look at my paper and when I'm on the tube girls or the train I don't know whether you're the same I'm a bit like get your own paper I'm the one that's normally skegging over someone's shoulder (laughs) or Grazia magazine or something like that yeah this always happens to me and I was like so I looked at this presence looked over my shoulder eyeballed Kevin Peterson Kevin Peterson was the one looking over my shoulder. Now, because I think or detect that he may have a slightly big head, I quickly turned the page to pretend I wasn't reading that article. (laughs) And the thing that's really going to shock you is that everyone's asked me about this. I went on TalkSport because um, H&J read my tweet about it, so they got me on to talk about it, gave this podcast a plug, might I add. Thank you. But so many people got in touch after that and said, well, did you get an interview? Did you speak to him? Did you at least try and get something? I went all shy because yeah. I was in the quiet carriage. Oh. oh. But that's a poor excuse because you wouldn't normally go shy. But I think when I think when you're in broadcasting, you, you almost you're almost sometimes in broadcasting mode. And when you're caught in a private moment, sitting on a train, heading off to a job, mind on something else, the last thing you want to see is a famous sports person and then feel like you've got to say something. Also, it was deathly quiet. So everyone would have heard our conversation. It was yeah. deathly quiet. And yeah. I thought, no. But at the amount of people that said, you, you kept quiet. <laughs> a miracle. Absolute miracle. <laughs> well, it did happen. I wondered whether we could branch this out. We've not got Twitter topic of the week at the moment. It's on hold. So we have got space next week. If anyone's got some what are the chances and it was football related, mm-hmm. please tweet us at Offside Rule Pod. I might just read papers every day everywhere I go with David Beckham on the page and just hope that it happens to me you've already met him I'm gonna do that do you remember when you were on the bus and the person behind you was listening to something and you could hear them listening to the offside rule do you remember that I recognized the voice I thought I recognized that voice I really know that voice it was my own voice (laughs) the female take on football 
we're going to crack on then with topic one. So try and try again. Charlie Adam, we saw the goal. It was something special, wasn't it? But apparently countless times in training, he's tried it before. Jamie Carragher tweeted saying, Charlie Adam, he tried that shot from the halfway line three times a game at Liverpool. About bloody time. Uh, Peter Odenwingi, so happy for Charlie Adam. Seen him do this in training many times, but to see this in a game is fantastic. Now, it doesn't matter that it's a rehearsed skill. I think the fact that he executed it in a competitive environment is brilliant. But I do want examples of where persistence has paid in football. We will start, as ever, with Hayley McQueen. Okay, mine is quite current, so very topical at the moment, and it's uh, a footballer who took a lot from his past and actually through a really sad, sad situation. His his brother died and he was a promising footballer and he was playing Shamrock Rovers back on December the 15th, 2011 and pointed to the heavens after he scored a goal in tribute to his brother because the same night, 350 miles away, Chesant were hosting a memorial match actually for his brother. It was the 10th anniversary of his death. He sadly passed away in a car crash en route to a game for the team that he played for. Now, this brother of his decided that he would continue playing football in the hope that he could make up for all the, you know, the future that his brother sadly lost out on. Now, he's had nine loan spells. He's had many setbacks. He was suspended for gambling, was criticised for simulation. He's been dropped from teams. He's been dropped from clubs and had to move on to others. And he's now playing for England. It is Andros Townsend. There you go. Persistence, persistence, persistence. So he had to get over the heartbreak of his brother's death, kept learning from his mistakes, and he just kept chasing his dream because of the way that his brother was cruelly denied his dream uh, through this terrible, terrible accident. And... um, He's a really great example to other young players that no matter what you go through, just don't give up. You don't just have to live your dream. You can live somebody else's. Obviously, he needed that skill. You can't just, if it were me, it's never going to happen. I'm just not good enough at playing football. But he obviously was. And um, I think when a club manager gives youth that real chance... You just grab that with everything you have and you just remember what you're fighting for. So that persistence for him has really worked. With the England connection, I am just going to pitch in very quickly and say Michael Carrick because of the fact that, you know, the England call-up that he's just had, being overlooked for so long, now being branded as England's answer and that the team should perhaps even revolve around him. Wayne Rooney saying he was the best player on the pitch in the last international game. Michael Carrick, the fact that persistence has paid for him with getting back into England, I just thought I'd pitch in with that. Kate? I've got a sweet old story here, actually. It's from the turn of the century, but I just thought it was really, really funny when I found it. There's um, a book called Football Strangers Matches. And there's a great tale. So it's from the turn of the century and Burnley and Stoke City are desperately fighting to stay in the first division. It gets down to the final day of the season. Both teams are playing each other and all they need is a draw for both of them to be sorted. So back in those good old days of football... The match was engineered to basically save both sides. The crowd tried again and again and again to get the game going, but all the players in this game could do were just kind of amble around with the ball, not make any shots on target. It 
all both sets of players desperate not to kind of score a goal, desperate not to concede a penalty, not to do anything contentious at all. The crowd got so annoyed that they ended up trying to keep the balls. One of them went into the River Trent, apparently. Oh. One of them went over the side of the stand, never ever to be found again. Apparently the most animated moment of the match was when a linesman sprinted along the touchline in a bid to catch the ball before it went into the crowd because the crowd kept trying to stop the game. A perambulating policeman, so this book says, had his eye on, on the same ball. The linesman collided with the policeman and they lay spread-eagled across the track. The crowd roared, but only with laughter. I love the thought of these two first division sides desperate to stay in the division, basically rigging the whole game and the crowd saying, no way, you're not going to rig this game. It didn't work from the crowd, though. Both teams persisted with this non-entity of a game and they both stayed in the first division. Well, try and try again. Something from behind the scenes in football, something from the ownership side of things. Try and try again at the fifth attempt to actually take control of a club. Step forward, Paul Murray at Rangers. Because finally he has control at Ibrox. But he's tried this five times. It's fifth attempt lucky. If you go back to the very first time he tried, it was back in 2007. He was first elected onto David Murray's board back then. He's tried, he's actually gathered consortiums um, in the awful year that was 2012 when Rangers went into administration. He put together the Blue Knights consortium, tried to make sure that they got on top of, of Rangers dealings then. There was a 2013 annual general meeting where he was tried to get named on the board once more fifth time of asking and Murray's finally made the breakthrough. So I think that from a business point of view of trying and trying again in football is, is another good example. Yeah. It's a bit like a fairy tale. When you, the Blue Knights Consortium and there's the three bears as well <laughs> reporting on it. I'm like, this just sounds comedy. But yeah, there you go. And part of the problem is someone was always sitting in his chair. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get It. There's only one of us. On to topic number two. How are your heads, girls? Have I been giving you a headache this week? Do you know what? It's just one of those classic headlines, isn't it? Arsene Wenger has a selection headache. Mm. Wayne Rooney trying not to cause Van Gaal a headache over his mm. form, over his injury, over his whatever. I love the way headache is often used in footballing headlines. It often is. And if you were lazy and just tried doing a Google, then you would have brought up Arsene Wenger and Arsenal quite a few times mm-hmm. as someone who tried and tested it to see what was out there. I want other examples during the Premier League era of players or incidents where a manager has had a real problem on his hands. I'm not going to use the headache term anymore. Let's talk about a player being someone's nemesis. Maybe someone who's lost someone their job, caused many problems. What examples have we got? Who would like to go first on this? Hayley. Well, I would just like to mention Carlos Tevez. We have discussed Mm. him in the past many times, but giving Manchester City fans a headache, but certainly giving Roberto Mancini a headache. And it's a real shame you have a player of his talent that's cost the club so much money and you can't play him. You put him on the bench and what does he do? He moans. He doesn't warm up in that Champions League game against Bayern Munich and it all went wrong for everything. He still kind of denies that though, doesn't he? He still denies that he didn't actively say, no, I don't want to go on the pitch. Yeah. Sergio Aguero, who actually wrote a piece or Mm. blogged, 
for the Manchester Evening News came out with a couple of comments about this, actually. I, I, I didn't remember this at the time, but just reminding you of the story, Tevez was then suspended by Manchester City for a couple of weeks. A furious Mancini had then said to his player, just go back to Argentina during a big bust-up in the dressing room after that game in uh, Munich. They made an official complaint to the club's human resources department. HR got involved, that's right. Okay. So we had as much kind of baggage as brilliance. And... Aguero had said, I was sat next to Carlitos and at one point I thought Mancini was telling me to go back to Argentina. I was thinking, what? Me as well? Okay, I'll go and see my family for a few days. He goes, he didn't really say too much to Carlitos afterwards, but the next day he'd gone back to Argentina and we didn't see him for four months. So he obviously wasn't very happy about that. But guess what? What goes around comes around. Now he is able to play. He's missing out in the Coppa Italia semi-final. Juventus turned round an aggregate defeat and won the through to a final. He's going to miss out because he's injured. Guess what? He's a leading scorer in Serie A. Can he continue that into Champions League? No, because he's injured. So that big game that Juventus have got, which they could potentially uh, win, actually, it's a good one for them. I think they play Monaco in the Champions League. Good chance of winning that and potentially playing further in the Champions League. He's injured. So what goes around comes around, Tevez. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that happened back in 2011. And actually, he wasn't bad when he eventually did come back to the club because the manager at the time was like, with me, he's finished. There is a, There was just no way he was going to go back to the club, but he did. I don't know who had to eat, eat humble pie. Maybe both of them, I don't know. But I was pleased with the way the club handled it and the fact that Mancini was adamant. No, you might mm. be earning ridiculous amounts of money in one of our greatest players at the moment, but no, you've mm. got to learn a lesson. Mm. There we go. And off to Juventus, he went in uh, 2013. He also got on the wrong side of the Argentina coach as well, because as a national squad, Argentina have all, always had that headache, no matter who the manager is, and that's changed quite a few times over the last few years. Uh, they always always had a headache of Messi and Tevez, and the fact that you can't, you just can't play them together. You, they're both such out-and-out strikers, one can't really drop back for them. Um, but Alejandro Sabella, who was the uh, Argentina uh, manager during the World Cup, famously dropped Carlitos, didn't he? Carlos Tevez said, well, sod that, I'm off to Disney World with, <laughs> with all my kids, thanks thanks very much. But yeah, you, he, he sort of um, fell out with the national team manager as well. So things have not really gone brilliantly for Tevez in, in terms of people liking his temperament. I hope he looks back one day and is embarrassed about his actions and thinks, I wish I'd done things differently and potentially goes to mentor others, to make sure that they don't get up to what he did. I knew him as his, from his time at Manchester United and he's the only player I'll ever admit. I didn't like him. He wasn't nice. He was rude. I've witnessed a few things that were just plain disgraceful, like really bad behaviour. I just thought, you know what? The little kids who've got Tevez on their shirts, I hope they don't see this side of you because it's embarrassing. That's terrible. You've talked about a player there that over a period of time has taken headaches with him for managers. This is just one example of one freak moment that I've got of a player who actually had a tantrum on the pitch. <laughs> and I think, well, as a manager in that situation, how do you handle it? Nathan Dyer. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. When he when he was um, playing for Swansea, it was, it was in the League Cup final. And he's a winger, you know, he doesn't usually take penalties, but he was desperate to take a penalty. He wanted the glory and he literally started acting like a 10-year-old child. It's like he couldn't get his own way and he started having a tantrum visibly in front of our eyes. I will never get over watching that because I just thought, likewise with you, what you're saying about children emulating Tevez or maybe not really wanting to know the true him. I just thought all these children that are watching that think that 
to get your own way, you just throw a bit of a strop, something that I'm sure Kate won't be endorsing. (laughs) No, exactly. And you read about strops and fallouts in the paper, but you always think it's over-exaggerated. It took you to see that in the flesh, to kind of see that with with your own eyes, to go, oh, my God, they do get a strop on. But, of course, footballers are really competitive. It's a very highly charged atmosphere, and sometimes it gets to their heads in the wrong way. Harry Redknapp. And Adele to rap. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you remember when? Do you remember yeah. when Redknapp called to rap? He basically called him fat, mm. didn't he? Which did not go down very well. He also often sent him to train on his own because I was at QPR quite a lot, watching the players training, and he'd always be off on his yeah. own, having to do running and different bits and pieces, but not doing very much. Well, he said in a, in a press conference, effectively, that Adele to rap was three stone overweight. <laughs> oh, very. <laughs> public war of words um, and then Tarapt in retaliation said that Redknapp never took any training sessions and he took that shot didn't he where he put his top up and he got a six yeah. pack yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it, it uh, erupted on Twitter as well which uh, resulted in Redknapp saying that Tarapt was the worst professional that he had come across so yeah quick one to mention Mourinho and Balotelli couldn't control him oh. he was like a father figure to Balotelli when they were both at Inter but it didn't work out and led Mourinho to call Balotelli unmanageable what about when you're a manager and you want to do the job you want to make you know changes to the squad you want to sit down and plan the transfers well what about when you go to it and you have a headache of a sporting director mm. who takes charge of all the transfers coming in and out of the club how on earth are you supposed to do your job? So perhaps it's no surprise that things didn't work out for Gus Poyet at the Stadium of Light because uh, Congerton, who was the sporting director, who's actually helped with the appointment of uh, Dick Advocar as head coach, as we know, has come in now until the end of the season, uh, very much did all that kind of business and Gus just wasn't allowed to. So that would be a really big headache, wouldn't it? Isn't that the same as well at Newcastle, Mike yeah. Ashley? It's completely the same over the other side of Tynan Weir. We won't go into the derby. I am going to talk about a player that played for Newcastle, though, just to round things off. A player who gives a lot of managers some bewildering times. What do they do with him? Um, the, this stat, by the way, is quite old, but I will still give it out as an example. But this is from when he, his time at Newcastle. He's still doing exactly the same at Hull City at the moment. Hatton Ben Arthur. Oh. What a talent. But as a manager, it's a scratchy head moment, isn't it? What do you do with him? Because although he's capable of scoring an absolute beauty, a worldie, he loses possession over eight and a half times per game on average. He's dispossessed 3.23 times. This is in the season that he was in at Newcastle. He has got the stats that say he's going to give the ball away. Is going to give the ball away. What do you do with a player like that? Someone who can produce something magical, but ultimately could be the reason why you're on the receiving end of a defeat. He's a really frustrating player. He's so talented. He went through the whole French youth system and was, I mean, he was a, he's a huge talent, but just so ineffectual, really. He, does, he doesn't, it's, it's, he's so frustrating. He doesn't use his talent properly, does he? You see amazing flashes of it and then he'll go three steps back and, mm. um, and disgrace himself. <laughs> Check out exclusive football content daily on OffsideRawPodcast.com. Now, if you're listening to this podcast as you're starting to get a bit peckish, this might be handy. No recipes given out, but we can point you in the right direction of some footballers who might be on hand to help. Um, um, by the way, are you a fan of male chefs over female chefs? No. I love Nigella and Deliciously Ella. 
there's quite a few. <laughs> How did I know you'd love Nigella? I just had this this feeling. Well, traditionally, chefs were male, weren't they? The, the very famous French chef Anton Carême, founder of the sugar statue things. You know, famously, you know, men were chefs originally. You're definitely going to go down that angle, though, aren't you, Kate? Because isn't Dan the chef in your household? <laughs> yeah. I have no interest in cooking whatsoever. Honestly, I couldn't give a monkey's about food or cooking. <laughs> food is just there to be eaten. Basic stuff is fine for me. A bit like your jacket potato tonight, Lindsay. Well, so much so that Dan also sends you little packages, doesn't he, when he's away? He sends you organic boxes of food. And did you use all of those ingredients, Kate? I did. I try not to be offended because he sends me these boxes of food whenever he goes away. <laughs> and they're not just boxes of food because that would be pretty useless if you just sent me a box of food. He sends me step-by-step instructions. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's basically a dinner in a box. Mm. The first time I got one, I said to him, you, you know, I don't know whether be pleased or really offended it's basically a food version of flat pack furniture it tells you exactly what to do okay well i bet you still get it wrong (laughs) (laughs) assembling furniture i'm just happy someone else is getting stick for their bad cooking and not being able to Uh, let's talk about footballers who can some have even opened restaurants of course you might know about those have you done some digging around who have you found to be good in the kitchen i want as many footballers as possible here Okay, quickly, Fabrice Moamba. Well, we know that he doesn't play football anymore uh, after recovering from that dramatic pitch collapse, Mm. of course, with cardiac arrest playing for Bolton in that game against uh, Tottenham. His heart stopped for over an hour. Well, guess what? He has delicious Mm. delights that are now out to buy in supermarkets. Him and his missus. Yeah, Shauna. Shauna have basically made special sauces. She's from Jamaica and she said, actually... I've always loved cooking. Fab doesn't really like to eat out. When he moved up to Manchester with his move to Bolton, I would cook lunches for him and he would take them to training. So she made him pack lunches. And then all the other boys started inquiring about how they could get some too. So she made a range of sauces. They're out now in a couple of different supermarkets and a, a small percentage of the proceeds actually go to help charity to help fund um, defibrillator units in lots of places. I don't exactly know where and give you the details, but they're doing good, not just for your stomach, but for your actual heart, if you get me. We got some insight on that from Anna Kessel, actually, uh, during our International Women's Day special. I think she'd interviewed Shauna and found out um, that basically since Fab's career had finished, Shauna had become a bit of an entrepreneur and launched this food range. Fascinating. Well, I've got a player who linked up with Sainsbury's. It's a Liverpool player, Kate. Uh, do you want to take a stab at which one it could possibly be? Does it involve his mum? It does. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Did you not read this article? No. Who is it? Daniel Sturridge. Really? He actually whipped up a Mother's Day dish for his mum uh, in cooperation with Sainsbury's. Apparently very good. The outcome was great. Do you want to know what he whipped up? He actually made her grilled chicken, quinoa and vegetables. Oh. Impressed? Can I just... No, bored. Bored, actually. Okay, what is it about footballers, some of whom are pretty boring themselves, about as boring as a piece of grilled chicken? I hate to diss chicken, but footballers, grilled chicken... Oh, Kate will say not impressed. I'm going to have to try harder, I see. I actually... Grace Grace loved it, though. That's his mum. Oh, okay. She loved it. Fair play. Yeah, she did. And Sainsbury's did. Um, (laughs) I actually went and did a piece at Stoke City. I think I've mentioned it on the 
podcast before, it was Marco Pierre White who teamed up with Stoke City to do a kitchen at the Britannia Stadium. I'm sure it was for charity. I can't even remember why I did this now. It was when I was at ITV Central. But I remember distinctly that the winner of this whole competition, whatever it was for, was actually Matthew Upson. And he was brilliant, a very good chef. I remember Peter Crouch saying afterwards as well how great his food was. So Matthew Upson, his other half, a very lucky lady, being fed very well indeed. Yeah, well, at Manchester United, they actually ran a series of programmes on MUTV. They did a one-off. It was a special because the chef there is an absolutely brilliant chef and he taught a couple of the players how to cook things and Patrice Evra watched the programme and loved it so much he got involved and actually went back and had proper cooking lessons, which apparently Balotelli's been having as well. He said when he moved up to Liverpool, he wasn't that impressed by the food in Manchester. Manchester. Yeah, funnily enough. He had to eat out all the time in restaurants, but there was only a couple and he was limited. So apparently, yeah, the chef at the Lowry Hotel where he stayed at has said they would teach him a thing or two, but it was a chef at Manchester United who would do like traditional dishes. So I think Vidic did one and he cooked up, um, you know, traditional kind of Serbian food. I wouldn't, I don't know what that would be. Uh, Patrice Evra though, yeah, uh, learned how to cook properly and got really into this programme and actually really enjoyed it. They got ex-players involved as well. So they had an ex-player up against a current player and it was, yeah, it was a bit of a hit. They made a series out of it, not just a one-off. Mm. Now, what about when it all goes wrong? What about when a footballer tries to cook? and causes an injury so bad they end up in hospital oh. and can't play, which was what happened to Kirk Broadfoot at Rangers. He was making poached eggs. Yeah, nice and simple, you'd have to think. Uh, but it was actually Walter Smith, the manager at the time, who had to come out in a news conference and say, I'm afraid Kirk hasn't trained today. We think he might be OK for the game, but he suffered burns after an egg exploded in his face. Oh, yeah. He literally had egg on his face. Egg on his face. Yeah, he put two eggs in the microwave to poach them. And then when he took them out, on closer inspection to see if they were ready, they blew up and uh, squirted scalding hot water and yolk oh, into his face. Yeah. And he actually had to go to hospital for scalding his cheek. He then actually hurt his foot and was out injured. <laughs> Nothing to do with his cheek, but I quite enjoyed the fact that he could potentially be injured because of egg. Take note, Kate, when Dan sends you eggs in that package. I can actually cook, by the way. I'm just, I'm just not interested in it. I'm just not interested in cooking. I can, I'm, it just bores I me. Um, I thought I'd go with kind of a food connection with the nutrition because actually, if you think about someone like Paul Lake, who I'm sure, ex-City player, I'm sure he, after his career, became a nutritionist. And um, a couple of players have done that. Obviously, you know, players who haven't reached the giddy heights of the kind of money that players earn now, perhaps retired or due to injury, their uh, career was over and have, and have uh, gone into things like nutrition um, and sports science. Um, here's a little connection, though. Guess whose wife um, basically uh, is a nutrition expert for some of the top football clubs here in England. She uh, helps with endurance and recovery products, as well as healthy food and snacks. Is that? I think I, think I know who it is. Julie? It's Julie Neville, yes. Well done, Julie Neville. She's actually just one of those all-round very healthy... She does loads of exercise stuff as well, doesn't she? Not the kind of person you want to meet after Christmas. Diego Forlan. Or, yes, or Easter. Diego Forlan, he did a food diary, and I learned from this food diary that fresh pineapple is an excellent food for a footballer. Never knew this. The important part, says Matt Lovell, Tottenham Hotspur in England rugby team nutritionist, says that you must eat the wood core 
of the pineapple. It's high in bromelain, a digestive enzyme that can help players recover from injury by reducing inflammation. So if you're injured, folks out there, get on the pineapple. It does also induce labour, by the way. So if you're pregnant, try and avoid it. Lionel Messi, quick food-related one here. He was amazing, wasn't he, for uh, Barca against Manchester City uh, in that Champions League game. He credited his Italian dietitian for that. Very good. Well, you can actually make a starting eleven and have subs on the bench up to eight with the surname Cook who are playing up and down the English leagues. Oh. Yeah, I checked this out. I won't run you through them all, but I read that stat somewhere. I borrowed it of someone else. Uh, but when you mix sort of current players and ex-players, Steve Cook, Aaron Cook, Paul Cook, Jamie Cook, Mike Cook, Anthony Cook, Jeff Cook, Lee Cook, there you go. Can he cook? I can't cook. <laughs> Can you imagine commentating on that game? And it's cook to cook, over to cook, long range to cook, to cook, <laughs> shot on for cook, into the hands of cook. And he's cooked! <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, as we've got a foodie theme and it's just post-Easter, I'm just going to crack open an orange of the chocolate variety oh. for us. Uh, thank you very much, girls. Thank you. Thank you. And we will be back with episode 32 next week. <laughs> Listen to the Offside Rule We Get It on Audioboo, iTunes and via our website. OffsideRulePodcast.com Sports Social Podcast Network Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.